Welcome to another installment of Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. This is the channel that compares what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. So we're going to mix it up a little bit today. We're going to do a long-form Bible study. I do not have any video bites that we're going to be listening to or watching together. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a tweet by a guy who is a postmodern leftist progressive type. He has a doctorate in something, and uh, he claims to be some kind of a, of a biblical scholar or a Christian scholar, and he's saying stuff that is just bizarre, uh, best way I can put it. And so we're going to debunk one of his tweets. Tweet debunking is what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, but that's going to require us to deal with two topics, two topics. I'll explain as we go. But uh, let me whirl up the desktop here. Yeah, that's a photograph I took in Iowa. I can't, I can't say where in Iowa. That's one of the secret layers of, the, um, of, uh, of a TV show that has to do with you know, finding things uh, of junk. It's called American Pickers. Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I stumbled across this in my travels. And I was, I'm sworn to secrecy. I cannot tell you the exact location of this particular composition. But it was really fun to, to work through there and take some photographs. I have other compositions I haven't posted from this uh, particular uh, afternoon I spent inside of this shop. But man, that was amazing. Uh, but uh, let me do this. I'm going to whirl up my um, web browser. And this is a tweet from March of this year. I've been sitting on this one because I wanted to make sure that uh, I was going to do an in-depth study on this one because I think this has to be handled correctly. Uh, not like I don't handle other things correctly. It's just that this is a, kind of a two-topic episode of Fighting for the Faith, and I wanted to make sure we got the best texts to work through on this one. Uh, a fellow by the name of Dr. Kevin M. Young, and here's what he says. Inerrancy is idolatry. <laughs> just, I just I had to look at that and go, what? This is a complete twisting of categories, by the way. Inerrancy is idolatry, he says. God did not write a book. Oh, I would beg to differ with you, sir. Uh, and he inspired people who wrote inspired texts. Inspired people who wrote inspired texts. That sounds really flowery, but it doesn't mean anything. And he says, these are amazing, beautiful, holy, transformative texts. We, we can speak very highly of them, uh, but not inerrant in either original or Xerox editions. If you need something to be inerrant, it's Jesus, my dude. And uh, Dr. Kevin M. Young, you are a dangerous fellow. You are mixing categories. You don't know what you're talking about. And I'm going to go with God's word rather than you. So we're going to have to deal with the topic of idolatry first, but then we'll also talk about um, what the scriptures say about the scriptures and how we Christians are to approach them. Uh, I, I dare not have a different opinion of the Bible than Jesus did, because Jesus is God in human flesh, and he proved it by rising himself from the dead on the third day after he was crucified by Pontius Pilate. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Jesus's opinion about the scriptures rather than you, Dr. Kevin M. Young. Yeah, you might have a PhD, you might be, have a doctorate, but your credentials don't, do not exceed Christ's. So, so what do we do with something like this? You know, when, when you hear progressives and postmoderns who are deconstructing the Christian faith and stuff like that and attacking the veracity of scripture, they're doing that on purpose because guys like him are uh, in favor of the whole progressive agenda, including its sexual ethics. Keep that in mind. Um, so we're going to have to do some biblical work here. And so what I thought we would do, we would start off with uh, some biblical text as it relates to idolatry. Idolatry is a real thing, but is believing that the Bible is the inerrant, inspired, infallible word of God, uh, that it's living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, is that idolatry? No, it's not. In fact, it's a complete category error to even make such a claim. In fact, this, so we'll spend our first on this talking about idolatry as a topic itself. So some notable passages as it relates to idolatry. We go to the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. God specifically says, you shall have no other gods. In fact, that's what idolatry is. It's the replacing of the true God and belief and trust in a false God and the sources of false gods, according to scripture, are human imagination 
and the demonic. Yeah, see, see 1 Corinthians 10 if you're not convinced on that last one, all right? Um, human imagination and the demonic. This is where idols come from. And so God says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow to them or serve them for I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who, who love and watch this, keep my commandments. Huh. You're going to note in the expanded portion then of Exodus chapter 20, as it relates to the prohibition against idolatry, um, God is specifically saying that those who engage in idolatry uh, have abandoned his commandments. And those who hear his commandments, they are the ones who love him. Well, where, where would you go to hear God's commandments? Oh, I know the Bible. And here's the thing. If you are a Christian today, chances are really good that you are not reading your Bible and you don't know it as you ought. Don't let men like Dr. Young take away from you a belief in what the Bible says about itself regarding its inerrancy and, uh, and, you know, and things like this. You need to be studying it, marking it, reading it, inwardly digesting it, knowing it, meditating upon it. This is what we are to do as Christians. And so you'll note that uh, in, in the commandment against idolatry, those who are blessed, who receive God's steadfast love, are those who keep shamar, who keep guard, Listen to, hold sacred God's commandments, in other words, his word, okay? For Samuel chapter 15 has a similar interesting thing to it. Rebellion, apostasy if you would, rebellion is as the sin of divination, uh, presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. And so because you have rejected the word of Yahweh, he has also rejected you from being king. And this is Samuel, the prophet's rebuke of King Saul and his rebellion and failure to keep God's commands. And he likens his refusal to obey God to divination and idolatry. And what has led King Saul to such a miserable state? The rejection of God's word. Huh. So, so coming back here, inerrancy is idolatry? I, I don't think so, sir. Um, I'm going to believe what Scripture says about itself. I'm also going to believe what Jesus says about the Scriptures. But, but I'm also going to believe what Scripture says about idolatry. The source of idolatry is not the person who believes that the Bible is the inerrant, inspired, divinely authored, theonoustos, God-breathed Word of God. Idolaters are those who abandon and reject God's word. That's a theme throughout the book itself, if you'd read it. Um, Judges chapter 10 says, Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. And those who pay regard to vain idols, they forsake their hope of steadfast love. That's what Jonah says. Huh. Interesting, huh? And then Isaiah talks about the folly of idolatry. It's talking about, you know, those who worship false gods, uh, gods that do not exist. All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things that they delight in, they do not profit. Uh, their witnesses neither see nor, nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool, works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry, and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with 
a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into a figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it, and then it becomes fuel for a man. He kindles a fire, bakes bread, also he makes a god, and then he worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire over the heat, over the other half he eats meat, he roasts it, and is satisfied. Also he warms himself and says, Aha, I am worn, I have seen the fire, and the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol and falls down, and he worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. Do you see the foolishness of all of this? Well, Isaiah then continues, They, they know not, nor, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes. God has shut their eyes of the idolaters, so that they cannot see in their hearts, so that they do, cannot understand. Uh, no one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire, I also baked bread on its coals, I roasted meat and have eaten, and shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes a deluded heart and let him, has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? You get the idea here. You're going to note that the Bible makes a very strong distinction between those who worship idols and are engaging in idolatry and those who are worshiping God and those who truly believe and hear the words of the true God are those who read their Bibles and believe it's from God. God. Huh. Let me, let me give you an example of idolatry, by the way. Um, I know you've probably seen this worth watching again. We'll watch this together. This is an ELCA pastrix, and, uh, and that means that she's not really a pastor. And uh, th listen to the God that they are invoking here and see if this is a true God or an idol that they are invoking, that they believe in. Uh, l l here, here we go. Let us confess our faith today in the words of the Sparkle Creed. I the Sparkle Creed. In the words of the Sparkle Creed, the Sparkle Deity. I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one white light and refracts it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I believe in the church of everyday saints as numerous, creative, and resilient as patches on the ace quilt, whose feet are grounded in mud and whose eyes gaze at the stars in wonder. I believe in the calling to each of us that love is love is love. So beloved, let us love. I believe, glorious God, help my unbelief. Amen. Let us confess. That is idolatry. This deity, the deity invoked in the Sparkle Creed, is a false god. This god doesn't exist. This is idolatry of the highest magnitude and total rebellion against God. Do you think for a second that that ELCA pastrix believes that the Bible is the authoritative, inerrant, inspired word of God? Not at all. If she did, she wouldn't be a pastor. Instead, she is truly an idolater. That is idolatry. The creating of a false god and worshiping it and invoking it and believing in it, praying to it. The sparkle deity doesn't exist. This is idolatry. This is the idolatry of the left. And, 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 and Kevin... Young, uh, he, he, I think he has a lot more in common with those who worship the sparkle deity. Um, he's the idolater here. But uh, I just wanted to give you a salient example of idolatry. I, I think you kind of get that point. But uh, let's continue then uh, the warnings in Scripture against idolatry. The sorrows of them, those who run after another god shall multiply. 
including the, those who follow after the sparkle deity. Uh, their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Psalm 135 says, the idols of the nations are silver, gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not hear. They have ears, but they do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. Isaiah 45 says, Assemble yourselves and come, draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. And I would note that the sparkle deity of the sparkle creed not only doesn't exist, can't save a single person. In fact, anybody who worships the sparkle deity is under the, the, the condemnations of God. Uh, regarding the punishment of those who worship a false god, very clearly, okay? And you'll know, well, everyone, someone might say, well, that's all Old Testament. But, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, written to Christians, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry, flee from it. Uh, Colossians 3 says, therefore, put to death what is earthly in you. Note, note what's the earthly, Okay sexual immorality. Isn't it interesting how idolatry and sexual immorality so often run together? There's a reason for that, right? Uh, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness itself is idolatry, all right? Uh, First John, John writes, uh, little children, keep yourselves from idols, including the sparkle deity, because the sparkle deity is, a, is an idol. Galatians 5 says, now the works of the flesh, they're evident. Works of the flesh are what? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, and what? Idolatry. Idolatry is the work of the flesh, and the reason why we don't want to believe in the one true God is because we want to follow the sinful desires of our sinful flesh. And we don't want to be told that we're sinners and that what we're, we're believing is wrong. When any, anyone says to you, well, the God I believe in would never do such a thing, you, you note the two things. First, the God you believe in doesn't exist. And, uh, and it's an idol. And the reason I know it, it exists because he says the God that you believe in would never do such a thing. And talking about always the things that the, the, God, the one true God really has done and does in the scriptures. Um, the, the proving that their deity is man-made, completely made up, and doesn't exist. So you get the idea here. So coming back then to, um, uh, to Dr. Kevin Young's statement that inerrancy is idolatry. No, it can't be idolatry. By definition, it can't be. Listening to the voice of God in the scriptures and believing that it is infallible and authoritative, inerrant, that is the opposite of idolatry. So they go, well, you're making the Bible an idol. No, I'm not. I am not making the Bible an idol. I'm merely affirming what the Bible says about itself. And by the Bible saying things about itself, I am saying what God says about his words, because God, the Holy Spirit, is the single author in common with all of the books of the Bible. Yes, there are human authors, indeed, but each and every one of them was inspired by God. And here's where we need to you know, take on topic number two, specifically related to uh, the Word of God and it, in the fact that it's inspired and infallible. We'll, we'll start here. In fact, let me do this. I'm going to come up with the. Uh, let, let's take a look at these texts first regarding the inerrancy of Scripture. Proverbs 30, verse 5, important text. Here's what it says Every word of God proves true, He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Every word of God proves true. Are you saying, Chris, that that there was really a global flood? Yeah, there is. There was a global flood. How do I know? Because the scripture says so, Christ affirmed it, and every word of God proves true. Are you saying that Jonah was really swallowed by a big fish and lived inside of that fish for three days and then it spit him up on a beach? Yeah, that's what the Bible says. Every word of God proves true. Are you saying that there is only salvation in Jesus Christ and in no one else? Yep. Every word of God proves true. 
He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Don't contradict the word of God. And inerrancy is not making the Bible an idol. Inerrancy is believing what God himself reveals about his word in the scriptures. Every word of God proves true. Everyone, every single one. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Uh, Psalm 12 says this, the words of Yahweh are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Uh, Psalm 18, this God, this his way is perfect. The word of Yahweh proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Notice repeated in the scriptures. Psalm 19 says, the law, the Torah, the Torah of Yahweh, the Bible is what it's referring to, is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. And you're going to note something here. Um, if you take away the inerrancy of scripture, all right, so, all right, so you sit there and go, well, we, we discover that, well, it's not true that the children of Israel cross the Red Sea as on dry ground, and we find evidence that actually proves that, it, that the whole Red Sea thing didn't happen. Everyone's going to ask the next question. What else isn't true? Right? Legitimately, all of Scripture stands or falls because it says this about itself, that it is perfect, that all of its words prove to be true. And so if you can't trust the Bible to tell you the truth about the crossing of the Red Sea, how are you going to trust the Bible to tell you the truth about Noah and the Ark, about Adam and Eve, about Christ and his crucifixion and bodily resurrection from the grave? Yeah, the whole thing works together. And so if you can't trust the Bible at this point, then why should I trust it in any other point? It all goes together. And it says of itself that it is pure that it is perfect, and that his testimony is sure. The law of Yahweh is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. Isaiah 40 says this, um, a voice says, cry. And I say, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all of its beauty like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of Yahweh blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Huh. Hebrews 4 says this, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul, spirit, joint, marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Hmm. Now, I told you that Jesus has a very high view of Scripture. I would say that I dare not have a different view than he did, and he does, because Jesus is bodily risen from the grave. Yeah, yeah, Jesus knows a thing or two about how the Scriptures work. In fact, I'm going to believe Jesus over Dr. Young, okay? I'm going to believe Jesus over this guy for good, very good reason. And here's the text to consider is... Um, is a, and this is a text I go to with some frequency because it is a great example of how it, the inspiration of Scripture works and how God the Holy Spirit is the one who is the common author of all biblical texts, from Moses all the way to the book of Revelation. Uh, Mark 7, it says, The Pharisees, they gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, and they saw that some of his disciples, they ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, they don't eat unless they wash their hands properly. And watch what it says here. Holding to the tradition of the elders. So the tradition of the elders, if you know uh, about how the Pharisees operated, the Pharisees, uh, they t t tell this story. They tell this story that when Moses ascended Mount Sinai, God gave him two Torahs. One was to be written and the other was to be panned down uh, you know, mouth to mouth, if you would, mouth to ear, you know, from human being to human being, but not be written down. That, that was their claim. And that, that was called the oral Torah or the tradition of the elders. That's the idea. And so the, the uh, Pharisees had a whole bunch of other commandments that they held on to 
that were not found in the Bible, in the written Torah, what Moses wrote down. And so the question that was kind of before Christ in this in this text in Mark 7 was whether or not the tradition of the elders, this oral Torah, had any binding impact on the consciences of 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 Christians, of those who believed in Jesus. And Jesus is going to make it clear that no Christian is to obey the commands of the tradition of the elders because it's not from God. In fact, it makes void the word of God. Watch what he says here. So when they came from the marketplace, uh, the Pharisees, they don't eat unless they wash. There are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And so the Pharisees uh, and scribes, they asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders not walk according to the the torah they do they were the command to wash your hands as the pharisees did when they came in from the marketplace is not found in the torah it's not in the written bible it's only in this word of mouth torah that they claimed that equal authority with the scriptures and so jesus said to them well did isaiah prophesy of you you hypocrites as it is written this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me in vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men wow so note here uh jesus says no we're not going to obey the tradition of the elders those are the commandments of human beings this is a form of idolatry that they were engaged in and says this you leave the commandment of God, which is what men like Kevin Young do. They leave the commandments of God to establish their own progressive postmodern uh, traditions and commandments, right? You leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. And so he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. And now watch what Jesus does regarding scripture and who is talking to us. Then he says, for Moses said, honor your father and mother and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Now note, Christ is quoting one of the commandments of the Old Testament from the book of Exodus. And he says, Moses said, now watch where he goes with this, but you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is a gift given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. So you say, talking about now the commandments of the tradition of the elders, the oral Torah of the Pharisees, they, 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 you, you've created this thing called Korban. But watch what he says then. Jesus says, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And so Moses said, but God, you know, making void the word of God. Jesus is saying what Moses wrote are the actual words of God. And that through their man-made tradition, through their so-called oral Torah, their tradition of the elders, they were making void the actual word of God. Yeah? And then he goes on to say, and so he called the people to him and he said, hear me, all of you, and understand there's nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he entered the house, he left his disciples and asked about the parable. And they said, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it enters into his heart, but not, uh, into, not into his heart, but into his stomach, and then is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean." What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they are the things that defile a person. But you'll note here, Christ equates what... Um, what Moses wrote as words of God, and you'll note you kind of see it also in the earth, earlier context in this in this in, in Jesus' statement. Notice how he uses interchangeably the, that Moses wrote, but God commanded. And here's what he says: You said you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, "Honor your father and mother." Note he's using these words interchangeably. Christ knows full well that all scripture is God-breathed, and that every human author has a, 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 a divine author behind them. And that's really what Peter was getting at in, uh, in 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, Peter writes this, uh, 
we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was born to him from the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, uh, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, and we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus was getting at in, uh, in Mark chapter 7, when he talks about God commanded, Moses wrote, and he uses those phrases interchangeably, because it's true, Moses was the human author who wrote the, t- uh, the first five books of the Bible, but God the Holy Spirit was the one who inspired those words. And that's the point that Peter is making here. And then you think of um, 2 Timothy. Paul writes this uh, as, this is his last epistle, by the way. 2 Timothy is Paul's last epistle. He's about to have his head taken off his shoulder by a Roman uh, centurion. He's about to be martyred for his confession of Jesus Christ. He says, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Uh, Welcome to 21st century uh, planet Earth, right? That's exactly describing today, and this is exactly what's taken over the church. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Uh, For among them are those who creep into households, capture weak women, burdened with sins, led astray by various passions, always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Uh, Pay attention here. Inerrancy is idolatry, Kevin Young says. Dr. Kevin Young says. He's just like Janice and Jambres. He's opposing the truth, right? Just as Janice and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. These men are corrupted in mind. They are disqualified regarding the faith. They'll not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. But you, however, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that have happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred gramata, the sacred writings. Uh Uh-huh. That's where the voice of God is, right? Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out, theanoustos, by God, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Hmm. What, what, scripture seems to have a high opinion about Scripture. And not only does it have a high opinion about Scripture, that it's the unbreakable, always proves to be true, perfect word of God, that it's inspired, that God breathed out the very words that are in the Scriptures, and that it is a lamp to our feet that is going to guide us through the darkness of this life, and that it is profitable to equip us for every single good work. Huh. Yeah, that, that kind of stands in stark contrast to um, to Dr. Kevin Young and his idea that inerrancy is idolatry. Again, I'm going to go with Jesus, and I'm going to go with God's word regarding its opinion of itself and recognize that it's necessary to adopt this same, uh, this same point of view. I dare not think differently than Jesus, right? Second um, Timothy says, I, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, this is chapter 4, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom to preach the word, 
Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who will suit their own passions. I guarantee you, you find a church like this, and we've highlighted a lot of them here at Fighting for the Faith. The one thing I can say about them, they don't preach the word. They don't want to hear the word rightly preached. These people have gathered to themselves teachers who are going to tell them exactly what they want to hear. You want to hear about the sparkle deity? Oh, there's people who will tell you about the sparkle deity. Unfortunately, that deity can't save you. In fact, faith and trust in that deity will land you in hell on the day of judgment. That's how that works. Mm, There's other passages that we can talk about here. And uh, uh, something to consider in the history of Israel. I would, if you really want to do kind of a deep dive on this, read Jeremiah, read Ezekiel, tough book, by the way. Uh, Read Jeremiah, read Ezekiel, then read Nehemiah, okay? In that order, in that order, because that'll that'll take you kind of through a a story arc, you know, in the bigger story of of, uh, Judah and Israel. But uh, when you get into the book of Jeremiah, one of the things that you see is that when Jeremiah is called as a prophet, the the tribe of Judah and Benjamin and the the remaining Levites, the northern kingdom has been scraped out out of the land because of their impenitent idolatry. God has scattered them into the nations. And uh, Judah and Benjamin remain. And, uh, and they follow the same idolatrous path as the northern kingdom did. And Jeremiah is the final prophet before God sends them into exile as the cure for their apostasy and idolatrous rebellion against him. And so it read, uh, you read Jeremiah and you can see God calling these people back to his words in the scripture, calling them back to believing in God alone and not worshiping any of these false gods. Do they listen? No, they do not listen. Okay. They don't listen at all. And as a result of it, um, God says, fine, this is the way this is going to go down. You're going to into exile for 70 years. And of course, there were a bunch of yahoos among them saying, oh, there's going to be a suddenly and God's going to bring us back to, uh, back, back to Jerusalem. Don't unpack your bags. And that's why God sends uh, you know, the, the letter in Jeremiah 29 to the exiles in Babylon telling them to they're, they're going to be there for 70 years to plant gardens, to buy houses, to give their children in marriage to other people. They're going to be there for 70 years. And how long were they there? Exactly what God said, 70 years, right? But what's interesting in all of this is that when you kind of take a look at the story arc, at the times of Jeremiah, few of the people in Jerusalem and Judah believed and trusted in the one true God. Um, and as a result of it, only a remnant of them went into exile. Um, the vast majority, over 90% of them, died in Nebuchadnezzar's campaign. It was, it was a complete slaughter, um, God acting in judgment and using Nebuchadnezzar as the instrument for his judgment. Then the exiles, when they get there, they're still not listening to God's words, and they have false prophets among them who are leading them astray. So God raises up Ezekiel uh, during the, the first third of the uh, of the of the time in exile not quite half but you know about you know 25 27ish years of uh, of of their time in exile not quite half and that's during his, that's his prophetic time but by the time they get back you read the story of Nehemiah there is a revival of God's word and I'll, I'll I'll show you a couple of things along the way because you know what I can take as long as I want this is my channel this is my program and I want you to hear God's word. So hear then the call of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapters 2 and 3, we hear, uh, we, we hear the state of affairs. And God has raised up Ezekiel for the purpose of him opposing the false prophets and those who refuse still to hear God's word, even though they're in exile in Babylon. And, uh, and, uh, and you'll note, he's, he's, got a, he's got a tough task ahead of him. So here's what it says. So God said to me, son of man, stand on your feet. I will speak with you. As he spoke to me, the spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. 
the descendants also are impudent, stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And so... Um, Fascinating that the, the way the ESV works this out. It's Adonai uh, Yahweh uh, that they will know that the Lord Yahweh. Thus says the Lord Yahweh. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, they are a rebellious house. They will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Uh, their briar, though briars and thorns are with you, and s- you sit on scorpions, be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they for they are a rebellious house, and you shall speak my words to them. Ezekiel speaking whose words? God's words. Ah, as they were carried along, right? That's what Peter was getting at in Second Peter. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, they are a rebellious house. But you, son of man, now listen to what God says to Ezekiel as he's giving him prophetic words, but watch what he says to them. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth, eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me. Behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it out before me and it it had writing on the front and on the back. And there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, son of man, eat what you find here. Eat this scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. Uh, It reminds me of the words of Christ when he quoted the Old Testament. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Uh, The word of God is a meal. And let me ask you this. Are you starving yourself? Are you attending a church where you're not being fed God's word? Are you leaving hungry? That's not a good thing. You need to find a church where they're going to preach the word to you legitimately preach the word so that you are in it, hearing it, having it proclaimed and explained to you. Uh, The Bible is an important meal that we as Christians dare not skip. But so many people who call themselves Christians, they have such a horrible, hostile attitude towards God's word. They think it's so so antiquated and stupid and irrelevant and all this kind of stuff. And they believe that they can actually be Christians apart from a meaningful study of God's word. Let me me find a word for you here, abide. All right, we're going to just do a quick search for the word abide, and we're going to look for it in the Gospels. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Ah, okay. And let's see here. I'm going to look for a little bit more. And we'll throw an and word. There we go. Ah, here you go. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, listen to what he says in John 8. If you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Huh. How does one abide in the word of Christ? It's not that hard. It requires you to read the Bible, to abide in his word. That, that's the mark of a true disciple, somebody who abides in the word of God, not somebody who's hostile to it, who's inattentive to it, who's upset when it, it, it contradicts their favorite idolatrous beliefs, Right? Yeah, I, I know that very well, what it's like to uh, have the Bible smash my own idols and cause me to have to rethink what I believe and recognize that I believe something falsely. Or worse, I believe something false about myself, and I had to speak the truth about myself instead. Keep that in mind. So, son of man, eat what you find here. God is admonishing him to eat. So I uh, eat what you eat the scroll and, and go and speak to the house of Israel. So open my mouth. He gave me the scroll to eat. He said to me, son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you. Fill your stomach with it. So then I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. Eat the word of God and make sure you attend a church where the pastor serving up heaping portions of God's word for you to eat and consume week after week. It's important. Ezekiel 3 then continues. So he said to me, son of man, you go to the house of Israel and you speak with my words to them. 
For you are not sent to a people of foreign speech, a hard language, but to the house of Israel. And not to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me, because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead, a stubborn heart. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, and your forehead as far hard as their foreheads. Like emery harder than flint, I have made your forehead. So fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you, you receive in your heart and hear with your ears. Note that even the words that Ezekiel was given to, to speak to the Jews in exile, God says, you need to listen to these words also and take them to heart. They apply to you as well. And then you go to the exiles, to your people, you speak to them and say to them, thus says Yahweh, uh, thus says Adonai, the Lord Yahweh, whether they hear or refuse to hear. Interesting, uh, the call of Ezekiel. But let me fast forward now to the end of the exile. The Jews have finally returned to Jerusalem. They are no longer in exile in Babylon. God has visited them exactly the way he promised that he would. He set them free and sent them back to Jerusalem, and they've had the unenviable task of rebuilding what Nebuchadnezzar destroyed 70 years before. The walls of Jerusalem, the temple itself, it's, it's a lamentable, difficult task that they are engaged in. And all the while, an interesting thing is happening here, and that is, is that there is a revival of God's word, a revival of people listening to it. Uh, Seventy years in exile has sobered them up, and they are no longer following the false gods of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and all the ites of the, of the Old Testament that surround them. And so... They are hearing God's word. In, in, in Nehemiah chapter 8, it says, All the people gathered as one man to the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that Yahweh commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. You think your church service is long. <laughs> <laughs> Ezra read from the Bible from early morning until midday. Was that three in the afternoon? He started at eight, ended at three. That's a long Bible reading. In the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand and the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him, it lists the people who were on his right and on his left. Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people, for he was above the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. Ezra blessed Yahweh, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen and Amen, lifting their hands. And they bowed their heads and they worshiped Yahweh with their faces to the ground. Right? So you got the idea here of what's going on. But look what happens in chapter 9 after hearing God's word. These people have heard it. They understand it. They recognize their sin. They recognize why they were sent into exile. And they recognize that God was faithful and just. And to deliver them, to sustain them in exile, and to bring them back. And so listen to this confession of sins and watch how absolutely informed by God's word it is. In Nehemiah chapter 9, on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting in, the, in sackcloth and with earth on their heads, humbling themselves. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and they confessed their sins and the iniquity, uh, iniquities of their fathers. They stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of Yahweh their God for a quarter of the day. <laughs> More of a long reading of God's word, right? For another quarter of the day, they made confession and they worshiped Yahweh, their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, Hanani, and they cried with a loud voice to Yahweh, their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashbaneah, Sherebiah, Chodiah, Shebaniah, 
and Pethiah, uh, Pethahiah, sorry, said, stand up and bless Yahweh your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are Yahweh, you alone. You have made the heaven and the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. You preserve all of them and the host of heaven worships you. Ah, what a wonderful summary of the book of Genesis and other portions of the Psalms. Huh. You are Yahweh, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and you and made him the covenant to give to his offspring, the land of the Canaanite and the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite and the Jebusite and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise for all, for you are righteous. Note here, uh, they are legitimately believing these words of God because they are true and they believe that they are true hmm note here god nowhere in the book of nehemiah are we told that they engaged in idolatry by believing these words to be true right and they go on and listen this is a, this is a synopsis of the scripture in this confession of sins you saw the affliction of our fathers in egypt heard their cry at the red sea you performed signs and wonders against pharaoh and all of his servants and all the people of his land for you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers you made a name for yourself as it is to this day and you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land and you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into the mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses, your servant. God commanded, huh? These people have a good understanding of how, how inspiration of scripture works. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger, brought water out for them from the rock for their thirst, and you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers, they acted presumptuously. They stiffened their neck. They did not obey your commandments. In fact, they despised God's words. Right? Inheritance is idolatry, says the man who attacks God's word and is in rebellion against it and affirms things that God's word condemns. That's exactly what Kevin Young is, right? They refused to obey. They were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, and they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger abounding in steadfast love, and you did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God you brought, who brought you up out of Egypt and, com and committed great blasphemies. You and your great mercies, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. Isn't that interesting? Their view of the Old Testament isn't, isn't that God is a meanie, is, is, a, is a meanie grumpy pants who's trying to smite a bunch of people. What did they read? The truth about God. That although the children of Israel rebelled greatly, God was slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, pardoning iniquity. And he was great in his mercy and patience toward them. You and your great mercies, you didn't forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them, and you did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out. Their feet did not swell. You gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. Note how much this requires them to know their Bible, to be able to pray such a prayer. Mm-hmm. 
You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven. You brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and to possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land. And you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land, took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless... They were disobedient and they rebelled against you. How? They cast your law behind their back. They weren't listening to the word. They cast your law behind their back. They killed your prophets. They refused to hear the word of God who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. That's talking about the judges. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you. And you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. And you warned them in order to turn them back to your law, to your word. Yet they acted presumptuously. They did not obey your commands. They sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and they would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. And I would note, God is still warning us through his prophets in his word. Are you listening? Or are you listening to the false prophets today who are telling you what you want to hear? Right? Just like the people of Jeremiah's time. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the people of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people, since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, our fathers have not kept your law. They have been inattentive to your word, right? Or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them, even in their own kingdom kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them. And in the large and the rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule our bodies over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. And the sealed document are the names of our princes and our Levites and our priests. But what a notable prayer. And you'll note that such a prayer would not have been possible had they not repented of their idolatry and instead turned an attentive ear to hear God's word and listen, understood it, memorized it, remembered its stories, thought on it, meditated. A prayer like that wouldn't be possible without a deep understanding of the word of God. And that's what that was. So you get the idea. So should we be listening to yahoos like uh, Dr. Kevin Young? Inerrancy is idolatry. God did not write a book. Yeah, he did. Uh, yeah, I beg to differ with you, and Jesus disagrees with you too, sir. But uh, I, I dare not have a different opinion of God's word than God's word does. Let's read Psalm 119. Here's just some samples. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of Yahweh. 
Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do not, who do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Yahweh. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts. I will fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Yahweh. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandment when you enlarge my heart. Now, brothers and sisters, here's the thing. We're all guilty of sinning against God and being idolaters. This is most certainly true, even as Christians. And I know that what I have said in defending God's word and showing its importance has proven to you within your own heart that you, like other people, like other rebels, have been inattentive to his word. You do not know it as you ought. But let me tell you this also. And there's something in the Bible that can only be found in the Bible. It cannot be found anywhere else. And that is the good news that Jesus Christ true God. He is the son of God, second person of the Holy Trinity in human flesh. He has come to earth and he was perfectly attentive to God's word, but he was perfectly attentive to God's word for you. As a result of that, all who call upon him, he forgives and pardons for all of their idolatry and all of their rebellion against his word and against his commandments. And so have you been inattentive to his word? I guarantee you that you have. So have I. But the good news found only in God's word is that God forgives, that he is merciful and kind, and that Jesus Christ bore in his body your sins and mine, even your idolatries and your inattentiveness to his word. He has borne that sin in himself. And so know then from God's word that all who are in Christ, all who call upon him are forgiven of all of their sins. And so... The answer to your inattentiveness to God's word is to first confess that you have been inattentive to it, that you've rebelled against it, and you refuse to hear it. And like rebellious Judah, you have cast God's words behind your back and followed your own ways or, or followed teachers who will tell you what you want to hear rather than what you need to hear. But know then, when you confess these things, it says also in Scripture, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so note then, in confessing that you have not been attentive to God's word as you ought and that you have engaged in real idolatry, the idolatry of refusing to hear his word, right? That God forgives you and he pardons you for the sake of Christ. That pardon only comes from the scriptures. You can't find it anywhere else. None of the philosophers writeth not write a word about it. Self-help gurus know nothing of the forgiveness of sins and full pardon that is found in Jesus Christ. So note then, 
you haven't been attentive as you should, repent, call upon Christ, be forgiven by him because he will forgive you richly, and then bear fruit in keeping with repentance and asking God the Holy Spirit to give you the strength necessary to be attentive to his word and that ask him to give you that joy and that satisfaction that Psalm 119 talks about where the, where he this fellow prays that, that that he will follow after God's command and his word is like the most the greatest thing on planet earth ask God the holy spirit to give you that and you know what he will and then you'll find the true treasure. The true treasure is in the Word. It is not idolatry to believe that the Bible is, an, is inerrant. It's idolatry to deny it is inerrant because God's Word says of itself that it is perfect and all of God's words prove to be true, including the truth that you are forgiven for Christ's sake. So hopefully you found this helpful. If so, all the information on how you can share the video is down below in the description. And let me thank all of you who support us financially and make it possible for us to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. Uh, those of you who are our crew members and who support us financially, again, I, I cannot even begin to thank you enough making it possible for us to bring this word and these videos you know, to this on this platform so that people can grow and benefit from them. And uh, if you would like to join our crew and support us financially, the information is down below on what you know, that'll take you to our website so that you can sign up to join our crew. And thank you. Uh, and so until next time, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.